Everybody doing well? Um, today, um, we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to cruise into, into the book of Ruth. We're in um, week number two of a series we're called Bouncing Forward, and we're kind of walking through the book of Ruth because we're not bouncing back, um, we're bouncing forward. That's, that's what we're doing. We're stepping into the next season that Jesus has for us, and, and I'm super excited about this next season that Jesus has for us. Like, I'm excited that we're having church today, that, that we're on site and, and that we're doing that, and I just want to take a second and just thank all of the volunteers, everybody who's helping make this thing happen, our staff, um, the people that are cleaning during this service right now, they can't hear it because they're outside cleaning. Um, the, the people are going above and beyond um, to help us be together again and to make this a safe and a, and a secure and a smooth transition to come back together. Um, I know the communion thing was weird maybe and it was strange like half and half, but, um, but, but thank you for helping us to, 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 to kind of to promote safety and to, and to stay within guidelines. Um, that stuff's important to us. Um, we're, we're standing on faith in this whole thing, um, but we start using common sense, and, and that's one of the things I think that, that everyone's going to start doing as we bounce forward is, is some things may look a little bit different. And so I'm sure there's going to be a time when we're all rushing to communion together again and we're pushing each other to try to get to communion. Did that ever happen? Did you ever push anybody out of the way for communion? So is it really a big deal? I'm not sure. Anyway, Ruth chapter 2. See, out of preaching shape. I don't even know what the heck I'm talking about right now. Ruth chapter 2. Let's get focused. Um, let me set this up. Let me set this message up. One of the things that I've had to do um, during quarantine, I've had to get used to doing things I normally wouldn't do. How about you? Anybody else? You used to get doing things you normally wouldn't do. Like they were every, everyday things that people did, but you just didn't do them. And, and you're like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Um, one of the things for me, and this sounds really corny, but it's texting. Like I, I've had to text way more than normal. Um, like I'm not a fan of texting. And we've been texting to reach out to people, like I'm getting this list of things and people are telling me, hey, you send out these text messages and blah, 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 and we've got this new text in church app. Everything, everything revolves around texting right now, and I'm not big into it. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest with you, I hate texting. Like I, I can't, if you ask the staff, they will tell you that Ryan hates texting. He tells us all the time, pick up the flipping phone and make a phone call to somebody. Like that, and then they'll tell you exactly like that. That's exactly what I tell them. I, I don't like it. Now, now there's, there's reasons why. I, I think I was damaged um, early on. I was around when texting started. Anybody else around when texting started? Like you remember when texting started? Anybody? There's like six of us. That's it in this whole place. They were around when texting started. And and it was super complicated because you had to use the letters on the numbers and you had to push like one four times and then you messed it up and you had to start over and it was crazy. And so, so I never got into it, but I was a youth pastor and all the youth used it all the time and they were great at it. And, and T9 texting came out, and that's where you didn't have to press all the numbers. Like the phone somehow knew what you wanted to say, and so you could just like halfway use your thumbs, and, and then stuff would come out. Now, during that time, I had two youth leaders. Um, one of them was he, was, he was my assistant. Um, one of my best friends, one of my closest friends in the entire world. And, um, and he began a relationship with one of the other youth leaders. Now, some days he would come in, and he would be happy. Other days he would come in and he would be sad. It depended upon how he interpreted the text message that this girl sent him. Do you know what I'm talking about? How he interpreted the tone of the text message. They never talked to each other on the phone. 
I don't even know how they had a relationship. They're married now, which is absolutely crazy and, and just messed up. And, and I think they still sit in their house and just text each other. I don't think they've ever had a conversation. Like, like seriously, when we did their wedding, I was surprised that they even like spoke their vows to each other. Like they didn't just text them to each other. But it was, but it was nuts because they were interpreting that. And so, and so that put a bad taste of texting in my mouth. I'm like, man, if somebody's mad at me, I want to hear them on the phone say that they're mad at me. The other re- another reason I don't like texting is because I have the attention span of a two-year-old. Legit. I really do, man. And so if our text conversation is going to be longer than three texts, I'd rather just pick up the phone and call you. The biggest reason I hate text messaging, though, is because I hate being left on red. You, you know what I'm talking about? Did you, you Seriously, you know what I'm talking Like, I was explaining this message and where I wanted to go with this, this message and this idea um, to a couple of staff this past week. And I'm like, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and, and I'm, I want to use this as the open illustration, and, and I want to talk about this being left on red thing, and blah, 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 blah. And, and so Thursday, I'm putting this together. It's Thursday afternoon. It's getting late. I got the outline. I have an important question that I need the answer to. Like, Pastor Gary is asking me for something, and so I need the information. And so I text one of the staff. I'm not going to tell you his name, but his initials are John Sampson. And so I text him because he's the only one that has the answer to this thing. And usually he's Johnny on the spot to answer me back. And I got nothing for hours. Like I'm calling him and he's ghosting me. He's just sending me the voicemail. Or no, what he does is he doesn't even send you the voicemail. He just presses a thing on his phone that sends you a text message. This is sorry I can't talk right now. I know you can't talk right now. You sent me a text message while I'm calling you. I sent this like a couple of weeks ago. I sent this guy a text message. I, 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 needed, I needed to know if somebody would come in and do something, and, and, and so we were talking about it, and, and, uh, and I, I, it, was, it was John. John said, <laughs> I love you, dude. John said, I'll, I'll just I'll text him. I was like, if you're going to text him, I might as well just text him. And so, so I put together this text message, and it was, it was one of those text messages, man, that you're proud of. You know what I'm talking about? It was... Man, it was well thought out. It was articulate. It was meaningful. Man, it was just, it was great. And, and it's one of those texts you look at like 10 times before you send it. Like you keep reading it. You, anybody, you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Anybody with me? And, and like if something's wrong, you delete it and you start over and you do all that. Like that's what I did. And I thought this is the perfect text message, man. Like we're going to get a response and this thing's going to be awesome. And I sent it and he read And I know he it got it because, listen, if you want to know something about my text message, my phone tells me, sent, delivered, and read. And so I know, but a response never came. He just left me hanging. He just left me on red. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I mean, like, like this thing was so well thought out. Like I put so much time into this thing. Like how can you not love me after I sent this text? Like this thing is awesome. And I start playing all of these scenarios out of my mind of what did I do? Why is it like this? And blah, 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 blah. And he left me on red. And I was talking to a friend, John Sampson, and um. And I was complaining, I'm like, dude, he didn't send me anything, and I don't understand that because I said this, and, and he should have sent it back, he should have saw that, and, and he said, Ryan, you never answer my texts, ever. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't. Like, so, so don't read it to you. He's like, pick up the phone and call. And so anyway, um, what does that have to do with Ruth and Jesus and God and the Bible? Well, as I thought about that and th- that, that concept, there are probably people here that you feel like your relationship with God has been left on red. I, I mean, in the past, 
Like you felt like you and God, like you were tight, like you knew where your relationship status stood. I mean, there were, there were times where, where you know that you could point back where, where you've clearly heard from God, like you've spoken to God and you have felt, you have heard God speaking back to you and, and, and you know you're on the same page and everything is going great. But occasionally, we'll go through a season where we're not quite sure what God is saying or what God is doing. And we're filled with doubt and uncertainty and we're wondering what's going on. Like, like we're talking, but we hear nothing back. That's what I'm calling left on red. Because listen, we, we, we understand that, that God is at work. Jesus said in John chapter five that God is always at work, that God's always working in our lives. And I come up here and I tell you all the time that God loves you, is always with you, and he's got greater plans for you. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it feels like we're in this season, this season of being left on red. And so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're going through a season where it seems like God has left you on red? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in, in Ruth chapter 2. The Bible says this, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Now, that, that's really important. His name's really important. Actually, let me, let me kind of back up. Let's do, a, let's do a review of last week. There was a guy we talked about last week. His name was Elimelech. Now, I told you throughout this story that names are going to be important. The meaning of names are going to be important. Elimelech, his name, anybody remember? God is my king, right? God is my king. That was his name. He had a wife named Naomi. Naomi meant sweetheart or sweetness. And they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. Their names were sick and dying, right? And so a dude named God is my king, his, his sweetheart wife, and his two sons, sick and dying, they live in Bethlehem. But there's a famine in Bethlehem, and so they leave, and they go to this place called Moab. Moab was a wicked place. Moab was a place that you were not supposed to go. You were not, if you were from Bethlehem, you were not supposed to associate with Moabites. You weren't supposed to, if you were a guy, you weren't supposed to marry Moabite women. But the boys, because they're entrenched in this wild, wicked place, and that's all that they're knowing, these two boys marry Moabite women. And we saw last week that they had left the presence of God and they had left the people of God. And I didn't say that this last week, but I'll say this now. Uh, one of the first steps away from God is a step away from the people of God. This is why church is important. This is why it's, a, it's important for us to be, to be meeting together and, and having this community and having this, 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 this fellowship because it's easy once you start walking away to keep walking away. They went to Moab, and when they went to Moab, they started doing things that they weren't supposed to do. They lived in ways that they shouldn't have lived. They lived in ways that were displeasing to God. They understood God. Elimelech's name was God is my king, but he's over here living in a way where God is not his king. Like he has, he has forgotten about God. Elimelech and Malon and Kilion, eventually they all die. And I told you last week, and, th and this is the truth, anytime you walk away from God, something dies. Anytime you walk away from God, something inside of you dies. Love, joy, peace, happiness, like something, purpose, something, something inside of us dies whenever we walk away from God. And so Naomi, she, she watches her husband die and her two sons die, and she hears that something great is happening, that God is doing great things in Bethlehem. And so God begins to pull on her heart, and she begins to journey back to Bethlehem. 
and, and her two daughter-in-laws, they start out on the journey with her, and, and, and something happens, and she looks at them, and she says, hey, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this on my own, and blah, 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 and she goes, and they have this whole thing with, with Ruth and Orpha, and, and Ruth walks with her and stays, but Orpha walks away, and so Ruth and Naomi, they come back into Bethlehem, but at this point, Naomi has changed her name to Mara because she's bitter, and she's upset, and she's mad at God. And that's where we pick up the story. Again, I'll reread this verse. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. That name means strength is within him. Strength is within him. And Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now we're going to discover something about Boaz throughout this story, and it's important. Boaz was strong. His name meant strength is within him, and he is strong. And you'll see this throughout the this, this, this story, that, that he was admired, that he was respected, that people listened to him, that he was influential, that he was wealthy. He was strong, but he struggled. And that's important because there's this myth that goes around in life, and it even happens in churches. It's popular amongst Christians. Even right now, it's jacked up, but, but people say this all the time. If you're strong, you don't struggle. You ever heard that? If you're strong, you won't struggle. If you're strong in your faith, you won't struggle. If you're strong in your relationship with God, you, you won't struggle. Now, now that, that sounds great, and that sounds awesome, and that sounds godly, and, and, and it might be like something that you're thinking. If you're strong, if you have enough faith, you won't struggle. But reality, the reality is, if you're strong, you're gonna struggle, right? Doesn't matter. Like, the, the, the people might say you'll only or you won't struggle if you're strong, Reality is, you struggle even though you're strong. The perfect example of this, just to, to put this into like a modern day illustration, is CrossFit. How many of you have ever done CrossFit? Go ahead, raise your hand. N notice, my hand is not up. <laughs> no, you can't, you're like, I, really? I, you look like you do it every day. I, I, I don't do it. You know why? CrossFit people are crazy. Like you are, seriously, they are. They are flipping nuts. Now, I, I, I'm not against it. I'm just telling you, it's not, it's not for me, man. I'm just, like, like it, it's, it's like eating an overcooked steak. It's not worth my time, like seriously. I mean, because CrossFit people, man, they're nuts. It's like you go in that place and somebody's yelling at you, do 40 push-ups, do 80 sit-ups, put this kettlebell between your teeth and do 50 backflips. Like it's insane. It's absolutely nuts. Now, while I don't enjoy doing CrossFit, or not even enjoy, I've never even tried it. Like, like I'm not going to do CrossFit. I do like watching the CrossFit games on TV sometimes. I think it's cool when they're flipping the tires, they're lifting the giant stones. Like, it, it's amazing how strong they are. Now, here's the deal. If you've ever seen those, those games, with all the people that compete in those games, we will all agree that they are all insanely strong. Like, you have to be strong to make it to that level. But if you watch, there comes a point, every one of them, there comes a point that every one of them struggle at some point during the competition. And so don't miss this. They made it to that level because they were strong. But even the strongest amongst them struggle somewhere along the way. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you feel right now. You're struggling. And the struggle, as we saw in this video, 
the, the struggle isn't an indication of your weakness. Maybe it's an indication of your strength. Because, see, people say all the time, I just, I just don't feel that strong. I'm going through a tough time. I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's horrible in this pandemic. Things are bad. Things are bad at work. I'm losing my job. Things are bad in my marriage. I'm having a hard time with my kids. I'm having a hard time with my parents. I'm just not strong enough. I get it. But maybe it's not our strength that we need to lean on. Maybe it's God's strength in us that he's trying to teach us lean into that and and i believe that's what's happening with boaz that he's strong but he really did struggle we'll talk about that more next week verse two starts out like this one day ruth the moabite now a couple things here ruth again came from moab that's where she's born that's all she knows she knows how to be a moabite that's everything that she has known so she comes into bethlehem she comes into the place where it's the presence and the people of god her and naomi Walk in here, and, and, and they're most likely homeless. They're broke. They're widows. They're destitute. They have nothing. And the Bible says one day, that chick, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, they identify her with her past. Isn't it funny how somebody always wants to point out where you come from? I, I don't know if you know anybody like that. You know, they always want to talk about who you used to be. They always want to talk about what you used to do. They always want to bring you down. They always want to point to their past. They always want to identify you with your past. And sometimes they think they're being funny. Oh, remember that time you did this? And remember the time you did that? And, and, but they always, they always want to call you what you used to be. And I told you last week, in your life, you're going to have people who walk away and you're going to have people who stay. You're going to have people who want to be with you no matter what. Come thick or thin, they're going to stand with you. They're going to have your back. Those are the people that you want to have around you. And there are going to be people who walk away. And the ones who identify you with your past, who you used to be, what you used to do before you knew Jesus, you need to let them walk away. Those are the ones you need to let walk. We'll talk about that more later. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. Now, two things stand out to me big in this text right here. Number one is Ruth and Naomi are in a season of what I call left on red. They didn't know what God wanted them to do. They didn't know what God was up to. They didn't know what God expected of them. And so you know what Ruth did? She just took her next step. That's what she did. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is simply a series of next steps. And so when you don't know what to do in your walk with God, just step towards God. Just take a step towards God. Now, some people go, I can't take my next step. It's super complicated. It's not complicated. It's not. Jesus, when he was calling the disciples, his primary call was what? Follow me. Right? Follow me. That's it. That's simple. Hey, Follow me. The reason we think it's complicated is because churches have made it complicated. Oh, you accepted Jesus in your life? Sweet, awesome. This is what you need to do right now today. You need to stop cussing, stop drinking, stop smoking. Go burn your Bud Light t-shirt, burn your Metallica t-shirt, throw all your Bon Jovi records into the fire. Oh, and you're like, oh, I don't even know if that's really what I want to do. But listen, following Jesus is not complicated. It's not a list of rules and don'ts and and start doing this and stop doing this on day one. Jesus Christ in us and working through us changes us from the inside out. 
But churches have that backwards. We want to change people from the outside in. And that's never what Jesus intended this, to, this, this journey to be like. Jesus calls us all at different times to different next steps. And here's the thing I know about walking with Jesus for all the years I've been walking with him. My next step is different than your next step. And your next step is different than the person sitting next to you right now's next step. We all have a different next step to take in our walk with Jesus. And so listen, when it comes to following Jesus, when you feel stuck and you don't know what to do, just, I'm going to steal a line from Frozen 2 right now. I can't even believe I'm doing this. Because, listen, Disney Plus is the devil in my house. It is. Because it's free because of our phones. Like, it's not even something you could cut. It's not even something I can look at my little girl and say, you can't have it anymore. And, but it's something that plays over and over and over again. And I never watched Frozen 2, but I've heard it over and over and over again. And, th- and there's this point where the girl, Elsa or Ellie or whatever her name is, the I want to build a snowman chick, um, where she, set, she sings this song about she's, she's full of stress and anxiety and worry and doubt and uncertainty and all of this other stuff. And she sings this song called Do the Next Right Thing. Like, I'm just going to do the next right thing. And, and I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, there's some wisdom in that. You say, Ryan, what does that mean? Take a step of faith. Do the next right thing. Just take a step of faith. Listen, Ruth. When she went out into the field to pick some grain, listen, I'll show you this in in just a second, but throughout this story, like, this is one of the most godly and spiritual things she could have done. And it didn't, don't miss this, it didn't happen because she got a word from God. She felt like God had left her on red. She didn't get it because she's immersed in some deep theological study. She, she didn't know to do it because she went to a prophet. She just said, you know what? We're homeless. We're destitute. And somebody's got to do something. And so I'm just going to do the next right thing. I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to step out into the field. Because, see, during this time period, the law, the law was that if you owned a field and you were harvesting it, you couldn't harvest the entire thing. You had to leave some for the poor. And Ruth knew about this opportunity. And so she said, she's just simply said, there's an opportunity out there, and I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to seize the opportunity. The second thing that that I see from that that text is is that she took this to a person that she knew and she trusted, her friend Naomi. It was most likely the only friend that she had, but she, she, she went up to her. Remember, the Bible says, Ruth the Moabite. She knew where she came from. She knew that she was in a land where where she wasn't welcome. She knew when she went out in the field, she was going to be looked down upon because of where she came from. She was going to be looked down upon because of who she was. People were going to talk about her. People were going to criticize her. She knew people were going to come up and say, what is she doing here? Why is she here? Can you believe that she is here? She knew all of that type of stuff was coming, and so she took what she wanted to do to a friend who she trusted, and she said, this is what I'm thinking. Like, I just, I really feel like this is right. I feel like this is the next right thing. What do you think? And her friend said, yeah, go for it. The reason I want to stop and, and, and point that out, and the reason I'm saying that is because there are too many people in the world that are paralyzed by the perception of other people. And we are so paralyzed that we won't step into what we know is the next right step. We won't step into what we know God is calling us to do because we know we're going to get criticized. And here's what I'm discovering. Right now, especially right now, 
in, in the time, like like what we're doing this morning. I mean, this I mean, there's, there's so much there's, there's so much going on, and there's so many people who are saying so many different things. But what I want you to know, and what you've got to understand is, is life is too short. Life is, life is too short, too short to live for the approval of people who are probably never going to like you anyway. Seriously. Life is too short to try to live for the approval of people who are probably never going to like you anyway. And Ruth, I think she realized that. and She didn't let it stop her. Because watch this, Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. They keep telling us that, of who her father-in-law was in the field and the relative. It's super important. We're going to come back to that. But, but think about this. She just happened to be in the field of Boaz. And we know that she didn't just happen to be in there because we know God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, that God rules supreme, that he is sovereign, that he's the king of the universe, the creator, and everything. We, we understand that. But it's funny because Boaz and Ruth meeting literally changes the history of the world. Now, at this point, you're probably going to be like, oh, I don't know, Pastor, the history of the world. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I promise you it does. If these two don't meet, the world looks completely different, I promise. Uh, you're just being pastoral, trying to get me to buy into your message. No, I promise you, these two meeting are essential to so much going on in the world today. I'll show you that in two weeks, um, not today. I know you love it when I do that. But anyway, don't miss this. Verse four, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. There's excitement in this. These guys are excited about going on. And the reason they're so excited is because this is the first harvest that they have had in 10 years. They're pumped about the harvest, right? They're excited about the harvest. They were living in famine. They couldn't work. They had been unemployed. They didn't have anything. And they now have an opportunity to go back to work. They have an opportunity to, 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 to make things right. They have an opportunity to bounce forward. Forward. They have an opportunity for things to get back to the way that they were, and they're excited about that. I don't know if that applies to today or not, but they're excited. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Now, long story short, he's checking her out. He's noticing her. Like, like that, this happens even today, right? And it mostly happens with the men. Now, it, it, like, let's do this. If you're a couple, all right, this should be fun. All right, this is going to cause an argument probably for some of you, but, but let's just, let's just kind of do this. Who noticed who first? Who noticed who first? Brad, who noticed who first? She noticed you first? You lie. <laughs> Love you, mean it. Brian, who noticed who? Brian and, and Diane just got married a couple weeks ago. So they're newlyweds here in the church. My first ever Facebook Live only wedding. Was, who noticed who first? All right, there you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, can't, I can't see. The lights are all in my eyes. Who noticed who first? Yeah, you did. See, Wood or that, that's, that's how that works, man. That's, that's how that works. I noticed Mary first. Um, she noticed how big of an idiot I was. That's what she'll tell you, and, and that's all she knew about me. But, but in this story, Boaz notices Ruth. He's like, whoo, that girl is fine. 
hey girl, how you doing? Like that's, that's how that went down. Because listen, you know she had to be good looking because she's out in the field working. He's wealthy. He's influential. And she's probably out there, got on ratty clothes. Her hair's probably messed up. It's hot. She's all pitted out, makeup a mess. She's not at her best. And he's like, dang, who is that? And watch what happens. I read the Bible more crazy than anybody else I know. And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab. Now, Boaz, listen, dude. We know she's hot, like we've been talking about her, but she got a reputation, dog. Like, she a Moabite, and you know about Moabites. I mean, Boaz, Boaz, you know about Moabites, man. You, we don't mess with, like, look over here. There's some girls over here. Like, Boaz, this is where you need to go. But Boaz, and this is going to come into play, and I know, again, you hate when I do this, but I'm going to talk about this next week. I'm going to show you why it didn't really bother him. He shows her so much grace, it's amazing. Verse 7, she asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvester. She's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes, rest in the shelter. So they were keeping their eye on her. Like they knew she was, she was from out of town, and, but they're still watching her. Everybody's kind of checking her out. They knew what she was doing. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, now how's this for a pickup line? It's crazy. Listen, my daughter, not sure that's the best line to use. Like, I don't even think Barry White can make that sound good. Listen, my daughter. Wow, wow, wow. I don't, anyway, again, the way I read the Bible. I don't, single guys, any single guys in here, give it a shot. Listen, my daughter. Uh, who knows? Um, but in this culture, it's a term of endearment. Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather. Don't go into any other fields. Don't go, because I got my eye on you, girl. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part, because I don't want you leaving. I don't want you to go to another field. I want to keep watching you. Like, I, I want to start something here. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. Hey, see that girl right there? Don't nobody better put her hand on you. Like, you, you just leave her alone. That's what he's saying to them. At least that's what I think he said. And when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. He, he's flirting with her. But watch her reaction. I love her reaction verse 10. It says so much about her character. Ruth fell at his feet. That, that doesn't happen in our society. If you do something nice for somebody today, they don't fall at your feet. If, you, if they do, you call 911. You're like, you okay? Like, CPR, somebody knows something. Like, you just don't do it. Like, it's crazy. But in that culture, it was very common. When somebody showed you an act of kindness, you fell at their feet. And so Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm, look at this. I'm only a foreigner. That's huge. I'm only a foreigner. That's what she says, I'm only a foreigner. So she identified herself by where she came from, not where she was. That's a whole other message in another time. But her attitude, her attitude of thankfulness, her attitude of appreciation. Because what she could have done is she could have played the entitled card. You know what I'm talking about when I say the entitled card? You know anybody that plays the entitled card? She could have been like, it's about time somebody recognized what I was doing around here. Like, I can't, like, listen to me. I came from Moab, minding my own business. And here comes Elimelech with his sick and dying sons. And I married one, and he got sick, and he died. Everybody died. And I came here, and the woman I came here with, man, she is bitter. All she does is cry. She complaining all the time. So I had to get out of the house. I came out here, and I'm working in the field. It's about time somebody recognized me. No, no, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap. No, no, stop. I told you I'm out of preaching shape. Do you know anybody like that? 
You know anybody with that entitlement mentality? That's what she could have, that's what she could have done, seriously. But I, I want to tell you something about entitlement. And this is key. Don't miss this. Entitlement always leads to bitterness, always. Entitlement always leads to bitterness. Anytime we think somebody owes us something, this person owes me an apology. This person owes me an explanation. This person owes me an appreciation. They owe me, they owe me, they owe me, they owe me, they owe me. As long as we think somebody owes us, we feel entitled. And entitlement always leads to bitterness, always. Because nobody ever really does for us what we think they should do anyway, right? Entitlement always leads to bitterness. However, Ruth was thankful. And thankfulness eliminates entitlement. Thankfulness eliminates entitlement. And church, this is something that we've got to practice. Because see, I, I've had people say, I've got nothing to be thankful for. I mean, come on, Pastor, we're in the, how am I going to be thankful in a pandemic? Like, you're going to be thankful? I'm thankful I'm losing my job. I'm thankful for this. Listen, I understand getting into that place. I do. I do. And I'm not downplaying that. And I'm not saying it's not rough. And I'm not saying, like, that your story is not sad. I understand getting into that place. I understand getting into the place where we don't seem to see God working. Like we're asking him to move and we're asking him to work and we're asking us to him to give us clarity, but it seems like he's left us on red. I get that. But do you know how much we have to be thankful for? Do you know? Have you ever stopped to consider how blessed you really are? You ever walk around your house and just thank God for just stuff? You ever done that? The other day, I'm, I'm sitting on my front porch. We've got some construction going on in, in our house, and all of our stuff, our TVs, everything are moved out on the front porch. And so we're out there, and we're watching TV, and I'm on a Zoom call. And if you haven't learned anything um, during this time of quarantine, um, number one, you, you've learned what a Zoom call is, <laughs> and, and you've Zoomed yourself to death. Um, number two, you should know never be on the same Zoom call in the same room with somebody else, namely your daughter, um, <laughs> on two different devices because it echoes and it's crazy and, and you, just, you, just, you just don't want to do that. That's just not smart. It's not wise to do. Um, so we get done with the Zoom call and it was chaotic and it was just kind of like all over the place and, and we're done and, and, I'm sitting and I'm just sitting out there and I'm just looking outside and I'm looking at stuff going on and thinking about how much of a mess it is in the house and all this stuff and it just hit me like, man, I'm blessed. And, and it just, I was just like, this is, this is cool. And I just started thanking God. And, and listen, I never do that. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm terrible, terrible, terrible at appreciation. I am. I, I'm, I'm, I, I say all the time, like, I'm a great exhorter. I'm a terrible encourager. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm just not good at thankfulness. But there's this, um, there, there's this book that, that somebody wrote a long time ago called Practice the Presence of God. And one of the, one of the things in there is, is talking about practicing thankfulness. And, and you know what? That's something that we can all do. Just an exercise on thankfulness. Just walk around today. Just today. Just do that. Walk around God. Walk, walk around your house and just thank God for, for stuff. Like practice the presence of thankfulness for what God has done in our life. Because that's what Ruth is doing. Ruth is like, I'm only a foreigner. And Boaz, Boaz says, yeah, I know. I, I know where you came from. I know what's going on in your life. Watch this. She said, I'm only a foreigner. He says, verse 11, yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you've left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take rest, refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He's like, I know. I know what you did, 
But I also know what you are doing. And what you are doing overshadows what you did, girl. I know, but I know where you are right now is not who you are. I mean, this is unbelievable grace that he's showing her. Verse 13, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. This is so cool. Eventually, they'll become a couple. We'll we'll talk about that next week. They eventually become a couple. Um, But this is like their first date happens next. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can, <laughs> you can dip your bread in the sour wine. I guess that's another pickup line. I don't even know. Like, it's just crazy. <laughs> come dip your bread in the sour wine. I, so, so, so he sat with his harvesters. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't, out of preaching shape. That's the excuse I'm going to keep using. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave some roasted grain to her eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. So see, Boaz is kind to her, and Ruth is thankful for the kindness that she's receiving from Boaz. Everything is great. Verse 15, when Ruth went back to work again, don't miss this, she kept taking her next step. She kept taking her next step. She kept stepping. She didn't say, well, I came to the field and somebody recognized me, and so I'm going to sit here and be recognized for the rest of my life. No, she was willing to keep stepping. She was willing to continue to keep doing the next right thing. She said, I'm going to keep stepping. I'm going to keep working until God shows me what's next. Until God clearly speaks to me, I'm going to keep doing the next right thing. Then the Bible says when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men. Watch this. Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And pull some heads of barley from bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. And so he's watching her. He's caring for her. He's got compassion for her. He's setting her up for success. The Bible goes on to say, So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back to town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from the meal. Watch what Naomi says in verse 19. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. Listen, Ruth was carrying so much blessing back with her that Naomi said, there's no way you accomplished this all on your own. Somebody had to help you. And and what we see right here, the principle we see at work right here, is the same principle that we see over and over and over again in life. If we're ever going to accomplish anything significant, we're never going to do it on our own. We're just not. It's not going to be just you, but who surrounds you that helps you accomplish it. That's why I believe with all of my heart that we cannot do life alone. We have to have church. We have to have community. We have to have people who will rally around us in good times and in bad times, in times when we need grace and in times when we need truth. And we have to be the church that speaks into each other, and we have to be the church that helps each other accomplish more than we could ever accomplish on our own because of what Jesus is doing in us and through us. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about our church, especially the next season of our church, because I believe as more and more people come in, they're going to get connected, and eventually they'll accomplish more together than they ever would have done apart. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the harvest. I'm excited about what God is doing next, because that's just a principle that's happening in this text. The Bible says, so so Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, the man... I work with today is named Boaz, verse 20. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. That's huge. 
It's going to come into play huge in the next couple of weeks. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the end of the harvest is complete. In other words, she's like, oh, we sort of had a date. I'm like, good, he wants me to come back. Good, Naomi explained. Do as he said. And she's saying that because she got some food out of this deal, right? And she's probably like me. When you change your name to bitter, a little bit of food helps you out. Just, just saying. Eat a Snickers. <laughs> Do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. Now this is crazy. Initially, Boaz noticed her. They meet. They have lunch together. There's kind of this romantic thing going on. (laughs) And then for six weeks, Boaz doesn't call. Boaz doesn't talk to her again. There's no interaction. Can you imagine how frustrating this must have been for her? Can you imagine the doubt and the confusion she must have been in? She's like, well, this this guy was interested in me. We had lunch together. I mean, I got to dip my bread in the sour wine, and and all this stuff was going on. And and then I went back to where we met, and and now I don't even know what's going on. Dude has has left me on red. But don't miss this. She kept stepping. She didn't stay put. She kept doing the next right thing. That's all she knew how to do. I'm just going to keep stepping. I'm just going to do the next right thing. And so as we close up, let me ask you this question. What's the next step that you need to take? What's the next step that you need? Listen, don't make it too complicated because it's not. It might be difficult. It'll definitely take you out of your comfort zone. But if God has called you to it, he will lead you through it. Seriously. I know that sounds cheesy, but that's the truth. If God has called you to do it, he will lead you through it. He will give you the strength. He will give you the ability. He he will pull you through whatever it is he's called you to do. He will. He will. We all have a next step. Every one of us. Every one of us has a next step. Even the guy preaching right now. I'm telling you, God is leading me on my next step right now. I'm not too thrilled about it. I'm not. But it's necessary for my growth. And my next step, like I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. I eventually will, but not today. Um, my next step, I, I, was, I was in a season. I was in a time, because this is me. This, this, is, this is where I'm at. I will take a next step, and I will get there, and, and I'll be like, sweet, awesome, cool. And, and I get complacent with where I'm at. I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know if you get there, um, but I do. I feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm at this place, and this place is, is really good. And I can stand up here, and I can tell you all day long, I can be the preacher guy, and, I, and like, I'm great at preaching. I'm terrible at living. Just, just to be honest with you, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like I, I understand these things, and, and I come up here and I tell you, God has a next step, and Christianity is a series of next steps. And how do I know when I'm done, Pastor? How do I know when I don't have another step? Because you're dead, like you've stepped into eternity. Like I, I know all that, and I teach you all that, and I say all that stuff. But sometimes I like to just sit in the step that I just took. And God's constantly wanting us to take next steps. And so I'll get into opportunity, or I'll get into places where it gets like that, and I get complacent, and then stuff starts falling apart. And I realize, man, I needed to keep taking steps. I needed to keep taking steps. And so I was in this season. I was in this season where I hadn't taken a step, and I, and I hadn't, and, and I kind of knew what, I, what God wanted me to do, but I was pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. I didn't want to do it. And, and so it felt like God had left me on red on some other things that I was seeking and trying to do. And it, it came in, in the form of leading this church and leading my family and, and just in, in personal growth. And so you, you know how I, I finally got reconnected with God? I just started reading my Bible more. 
Uh, and, and I started reading it with, with the, the purpose of asking God, speak to me. Speak to me my next step. Like I've told you before, that's how I really feel like God speaks to me is, is through reading the word. It's for me, when I feel like I've been left on read, I, I start purposefully reading and asking, hey, God, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. And during that time, I'm, I'm taking simple steps, and I'm trying to do the next right thing while it's going on. And eventually, I hear. And so my question to, for you guys to take out of here today is, what's your next step? What is your next step? Now, I'm so tempted to list things out, because I like to do, but, I, but I'm not going to give you recommendations on what your next step could be. And here's why. Because you know. You know what it is. You know. You can feel inside what God is calling you to do. What he's telling you to start doing, what he's telling you to stop doing, where he's telling you to go, where he's telling you to leave. Like, you know. And if you don't know, this is a great opportunity to ask God to, to start reading his word or, or just, to, just to get alone with him and say, God, what is my next step? Show me my next step because I want to get it right. And, and I promise you, God wants, to get, wants you to get it right way more than you want to get it right. Seriously. And so what's my next step? And when God reveals his next step to you, be obedient to take it. Be obedient to take it. I, I, I've told you before that delayed obedience is immediate disobedience, right? If, if you say, well, God, I'm going to get to that one day. One day I'm going to do it. God's like, you're just being disobedient to me. You're being defiant. God speaks to us. God wants us to move now. There are things, and, and pastors aren't supposed to say this, but there are things that we know when God has told us that we just need to do it. We don't need to stop, and we don't need to pray about it. I mean, we, can, we can run it by um, a, a trusted Christian friend, and, and we can say, hey, you know, I really feel about it. I'm scared to do it. I'm afraid to do it. Will you pray with me through it? I mean, we can, we can do that. Um, but when God has called us to take a step, we need to be obedient to take it. And so what's your next step? Ruth, Ruth understood that she had opportunity, and she knew what God, and, and when she stepped into that, God did immeasurably more than she could ever ask or imagine. Church, I'm excited about God doing immeasurably more than what I could ever ask or imagine. Are you? I'm excited about God doing immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine for you individually and for a church. And so let's pray. God, right now, we thank you so much for this message. We thank you, God, for, for your word and, and this story. God, that, you, that you've, you've clearly shown us that you are always at work and you want what is best for us. God, I pray for those here right now who may be uncertain of a next step. And maybe they're filled with doubt and they're filled with uncertainty. Maybe they're in a season where, where they feel like they, they've just been left on red. God, will you remind all of us that you love us, you're always with us, and you want what is best for us. That your plans are greater than our plans. God, I pray for every person in here that you would show us our next step. You would give us the courage, the wisdom, the ability. You would fill us, fill us with the strength to take that step, no matter what it is. Regardless of what other people will say about us, regardless of what other people will think about us, that, that we will stand true to do what you've called us to do because you are true. Because you are life. God, help us to, to serve you. God, help us to go out into this world and be a light to a confused, dark place. 
God, erase, eradicate fear from us. Fill us with faith. Faith to be the people that you've called and created us to be. And as we take those next steps, would you not just bless us, but would you bless those around us as they see you at work in our lives. And we love you, we praise you, and we bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I can't wait to see what God is going to do next in your life and in this season in our church. Thank you so much for joining us. Go out into this world, kick the devil's butt by taking your next step. Man, he ain't happy about it. So, so go out there and do it. And let's continue to win this community for Jesus. Love you all. I'm so incredibly thankful for you. And I'll see you next week.